Hi, my name is Doyle Hodges. I'm the executive editor of the Texas National Security Review, and it's a great pleasure to be talking today with Professor Danielle Gilbert, one of the authors of a really fascinating article in Volume 5, Issue 1 of the Texas National Security Review, Caught Between Giants, Hostage Diplomacy and Negotiation Strategy for Middle Powers. Professor Gilbert, thanks for joining me. Uh, tell us what the article is about here. What is hostage diplomacy? Well, thank you so much. Hostage diplomacy occurs when a state deploys its criminal justice system to detain a foreigner and then uses that prisoner for leverage in the pursuit of foreign policy objectives. In a sense, it's hostage taking under the color and the guise of law. Hostage diplomacy starts out looking like an international detention. The justice system is deployed to arrest a foreigner, but by the end of the ordeal, it's very clear that the person is being used as a bargaining chip, that they're being used for leverage. This phenomenon has been increasing in prominence in recent years, as countries like Cuba, Egypt, Iran, North Korea, Syria, and Turkey have been using hostage diplomacy, mostly to arrest and create leverage with Westerners, um, foreigners from uh, Western democratic countries. But um, it's not new, actually. It's a phenomenon that's existed for quite some time. And what is really fascinating to me about hostage diplomacy are its similarities and differences with other forms of hostage taking. So it's similar to kidnapping in the way that it uses one person, uh, puts a name and a face on, uh, on the story and uses them for leverage. It has one person as a victim and a different person or set of people as the target. But in many ways, hostage diplomacy is, is different from kidnapping or other forms of hostage taking that make it a really powerful tool for foreign policy. Um, because the perpetrator of hostage diplomacy is a state actor, there is a return address. You often know where the person is being held in a state prison. And uh, states, including the United States um, and other Western powers, are often not limited legally in the concessions that they can make to bring the prisoner home. So that's really interesting. And, and you guys illustrate this with a case that is going to be familiar to some of our listeners, but perhaps not to others, the, the case of the two Michaels. Can you briefly tell us about that? Sure. So in 2018, the Canadian government arrested Meng Wanzhou, who's the CFO of Huawei, a Chinese telecom giant. Uh, they arrested her on extradition requests from the United States for her violation of Iran sanctions and some other banking fraud charges. Within a week, China had arrested two Canadian citizens living in China. Um, the two Michaels, as we call them, Michael uh, Kovrig and Michael Spavor. And uh, from 2018 until just a couple of months ago, these three prisoners were being held in kind of a tit-for-tat retaliation strategy. Um, but one important thing to note that's quite different is that while Meng Wanzhou was on house arrest in Canada, living in her mansion and having quite a bit of freedom, the two Michaels were held in horrible conditions, um, often solitary confinement without access to consular services. Um, you know, not in a way... Uh, dissimilar from how other prisoners might be held in China, but certainly shows the inequality in uh, this prisoner situation. Yeah, it seems like a, a horrifying situation to be caught in and completely beyond their control. I, one of the things that I find really interesting about this is that I have normally thought of kidnapping and hostage taking 
as a way to level power imbalances. It's the way that a weaker actor seeks a concession from a stronger actor. But in fact, in the case that you guys examine, we have one of the most powerful countries in the world trying to gain concessions from Canada. So can, can you help explain why a country like China would turn to this practice? Absolutely. And I think this is one of the things that most drew us to this case and that made us really interested is that hostage diplomacy seems like it's a way that China is starting to step out and challenge the rules-based international order. Um, that by committing these kinds of threats and carrying out these kinds of attacks, that it's really um, pushing against the existing system of international law and international norms. But in particular, we think that China is targeting states like Canada and other middle powers like Japan and Australia because those countries are so close with the United States. It's forcing these middle powers and often um, regional powers that might be um, kind of caught between China, between the United States, pushing them to make a choice and um, watching, as in recent years, the United States might not necessarily always step up to help them. That's fascinating. So in, in some ways, it's almost like two clicks in high school trying to recruit the new kid to their side, sometimes with inducements and sometimes with pressure. Uh, you know, I guess one of the other things, yeah, one of the other things fascinating about this is that it seems like it's a peculiar use of the rule of law. It uses a justice system for unjust ends, and it seems to uniquely be employed by authoritarian states. The, the list of states you, you cited that employ this are, are not places where a lot of us are thinking, great place for vacation, but it's used principally against democratic states. It, it, can you explain why that might be? Sure, they're fighting against adversaries with one held, hand held behind their back. They know that they won't retaliate violently. That's uh, that's 